Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we had a lot of Rays news over the last few weeks coming out of our little holiday break. Uh, obviously, the Blake Snell trade that Darby and I talked a lot about in the last podcast. But since then, there hasn't really been a whole lot of Rays news, at least, uh, you know, having to do with the roster. So on today's show, I've got my good friend Jim Turvey back on. Jim, how you doing, man? I am doing great. Thanks for having me back. And today, Jim and I are going to take a look around the rest of the division and really around the rest of the American League and talk about some of the moves that the Rays division rivals have either made or are going to have to make before the start of the season. Because Darby and I mentioned it, but the Rays and the Padres have really been the most active teams this winter. Uh, the Rays, obviously, they, they decided to decline the option for Charlie Morton. They trade Blake Snell. They trade Nate Lowe. They've had to make a lot of moves. And other than the Padres, who acquired Snell and Darvish within the blink of an eye, they've really been the most active. Now, the teams in the AL East, there have been moves that have been made, but they've been a little less active. And a couple teams are going to have to make some decisions here coming up. So, Jim, let's start off with the Baltimore Orioles, who... Right before we were recording, I thought they finished last in the division in 2020. You had to correct me and say that the Red Sox ended up finishing a game below the Orioles who snuck above the Red Sox. Uh, they finished with a 25-35 and 35 record, and uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about them first. They're, they weren't the last place team, but we'll talk about them first and, and some of the moves that they have made. Uh, they, they brought in a couple of good players, Yolmer Sanchez and Chris Shaw, who aren't going to really move the needle but it doesn't take much to move the needle in Baltimore these days. But there's a lot of players that the, their future with the Orioles is kind of up in the air, including Renato Nunez and Hanser Alberto. Jim, what are kind of your thoughts on the direction the Orioles have kind of moved in this winter? Yeah, I mean, they're they're in a tough spot right now. They're in probably the hardest division in baseball. Um, <laughs> yeah. A division that uh, every team – it, uh, things a couple things I think would have to break right in the Red Sox rotation for them to be in contender status. But there's and three playoff teams last year. That this they're in a weird spot, and I think that they're they're doing things right in that they're trying to pick up some interesting pieces here and there. See if Yomar Sanchez is has any and any extra value to in, in the Baltimore area. I, I was the one thing I will say that did surprise me is that um, they let Jose Iglesias go. Now maybe that's part of. In, in line with kind of what they're thinking of, this is a known commodity. He's pretty good, but mm -hmm. they, they, he's not on the timeline there on. Uh, that's the only thing that really jumped out to me, um, along with, as you mentioned, Nunez and Alberto. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see those guys back in, in tow by the time the season came around. I, I've actually got a little bit of experience running this Orioles franchise in out-of-the-park baseball. I've been working on an Orioles save. I'm in 2023 on, so I can kind of see some of the moves that, that they're having to make. And, and honestly, it's really hard to do anything until they get out from underneath that Chris Davis contract, which I believe goes for at least one or two more years. I think it might be just this last year. But after that, especially, you know, their, their estimated payroll right now is $64 million, and they've actually got two years left to pay Chris Davis a total $46 million across those two years. And they're still paying Alex Cobb $15 million this year. And I love Alex Cobb, loved what he did when it, in his time with the Rays, but his time with the Orioles hasn't gone as well. Now, he did start to turn a corner, maybe get back from some of those injuries that he'd suffered with earlier in his career. Last season, he ended up making, I believe it was like somewhere in the neighborhood of, yeah, it was exactly 10 starts, had a 4-3 ERA, was worth .6 wins above replacement, and looked like he might be able to provide some value for the Orioles and uh, on, the, on that big contract they, they signed him to a few years ago. But yeah, the Orioles are definitely in the midst of a rebuild. They got to bring up Ryan Mountcastle last year. He's going to be in his second season. We might not be far away from the Major League debut of uh, Adley Rutschman, the number one overall pick from a couple of years ago. They've got their catching core right now is Chance Sisko and Pedro Severino. And uh, like they've got some talent on this team. Like they swept the Rays earlier in the season. I remember that that opened up some eyes and they, they played pretty good baseball for a good chunk of the year. Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, who they've been without, he was dealing with, with cancer and there's been a lot of good news on that front. He might even play this year. I really, I honestly don't know uh, what his status is for the 2021, but pitching is probably where they're going to need to focus on adding. And so far this off season, they haven't to this point. 
They've still got John Means and Alex Cobb. Uh, we've probably seen that one season from John Means might be his best baseball ever, uh, where he threw 155 innings at a 3.6 ERA. Very good. I don't know if he can replicate that. He didn't in 2020. But well, I mean, what, like, how do you feel about the the Orioles pitching staff? Yeah, I'm actually uh, a little bit higher on Means than most people are. I could see if, and actually, I. I I, I can see the outlines of where this team is going. I think that Means could be a really good uh, middle of the rotation guy for them in a couple years uh, down the line. Like maybe, maybe you don't want him as your second, but in, in a, he, I could see him being second or third in the rotation with Cobb being third or fourth. I do think they're missing uh, a definite front end piece of the rotation, but I could, I, there's definitely a world in which uh, Adley comes up and is kind of like the glue that kind of brings all these interesting pieces together. I, I think you need that, that top line starter, but as we're seeing in the trade market right now, it may be, that may be something that you can get. Now, I, I don't think we'll see it for a couple of years from these guys, but I, I, I don't think the, the future is nearly as dark as it was um, relatively recently for the Orioles. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're back in at least the interesting conversation sooner than later. Yeah, it's going to be tough, though, in this division. And we're going to talk about some of the talent that every other team in the division has. Uh, but the Orioles, I like the direction they're heading in. I don't think, let me let me say it this way. If Major League Baseball goes back to the 10-team postseason, five from each league, the Orioles are definitely in no position to compete in 2021. Now, if they stick with the 16-team format, I could see the Orioles this year maybe being a team similar to the Blue Jays where they bust onto the scene maybe a year or two early and making it. I'm not saying they're going to make the postseason, but look at what the Blue Jays did. And yeah, maybe the Blue Jays are had some more solidified major league talent in a lot of positions, but I like the direction the Orioles are heading in. Uh, and we keep mentioning Adley Rutschman, who could be their franchise catcher for the next six plus years. They've also got Grayson Rodriguez, uh, a top pitching prospect in their organization. And I, I, I just really like the, the foundation for their team. They're not there yet, but they're a team that can definitely uh, sweep the Rays on any road trip uh, at Camden Yards like we saw in 2020. So let's move on and let's talk about the Boston Red Sox, a team that might not really have any direction at all. Uh, they are now under the leadership of Heim Bloom, former Rays front office exec, and now He's in Boston. They gave him the reins. And right after that, he traded Mookie Betts uh, to the LA Dodgers with uh, David Price, a move that maybe wasn't fully up to him. Maybe it was something that was already kind of on the table when he took that job. But it was a very rough year for the Red Sox. They lose Chris Sale to Tommy John surgery in 2020. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, after uh, testing positive for COVID-19, was diagnosed with myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. And which is a very serious issue we've seen uh, in a lot of athletes, including Keontae Johnson, the Florida, Florida Gators basketball player um, who collapsed on the court, uh, and which was really scary. And he was diagnosed with myocarditis as well. So it's a very serious issue that athletes are dealing with. Eduardo Rodriguez, one report I saw was that he wasn't even like walking long distances until November. And he was diagnosed like early on in the summer. And so you hope that he, you know, has gotten a lot healthier and, and feels a lot better. But I don't know what his status is pitching wise for 2021 in, in the, the, the kind of tax, like how taxing it is on the body to pitch a full major league season. I don't know if he's going to be ready for that. And so even with all the struggles the Red Sox had, they were not dealt the best hand. Even after they traded away Mookie Betts, their best player, and one of their best pitchers in David Price, they lost due to injury and health issues their next two best pitchers. That's why they only won 24 games last year. Like They were starting like Ryan Weber on opening day, who no organization ever wants to have starting on opening day. They've also got Nate Evaldi. They went out and added uh, our old friend Matt Andrees, though. How do you feel about that signing? Is Matt Andrees, like, should he still be getting major league deals as a starter? He hasn't been a full-time starter since he pitched for the Rays, I don't believe. And I don't know how the Red Sox are going to use him. They might use him as a headliner or slash bulk pitcher. But wh what do you think about that signing and, and how he can help that Red Sox pitching staff? I always liked Andrees when he was here. And I think you may have you may have hit the the nail on the head when with that, with that last little comment there. Uh, I, I, I don't think he will be getting 
six regular six inning starts for the Red Sox um, anytime soon. But I definitely could see him filling in kind of a right-handed poor man's Yarbrough in Boston um, in that in the headliner role. I guess Yarbrough didn't do that as much last year, but in, in the, the role that we saw him in originally. And I, I, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's not surprising, but Bloom is, is kind of getting the game back together in late, but the game being like all these kind of raised offshoots, we see the Red, the Red Sox getting Renfro. And I have to say, as yeah. someone who surrounded by Red Sox fans who, who look down at the Rays, I have, it's, it's quite funny for them to now be collecting our junk. So I, that, that, <laughs> They're in a weird position to to say the least, but I actually I actually do like some of the moves that that he has made. I mean, that's probably not surprising. Some of the guys who we saw flashes of of things that they could do while in a raised uniform. I think Renfro was never really a great fit for the trop. Um, I think it put him in Fenway, and a lot of those lazy fly balls to left field may may a few of them may reach the monster and those are, those are now doubles or, or long right. singles with the speed. So actually I, I like, I like a couple of the moves that Bloom has made. I think overall though, the outlook with this team is it's kind of the, 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 the sign of the moment that this baseball season is just, no one knows what anything is going to look like in three to four months. And these Red Sox are kind of the, the case study for that in, I, I don't think their management knows where, where things are going to be. And, and as a result, the, the roster is kind of all over the place right now. Yeah, it, it feels like maybe in a year or two, the Red Sox might have to take a look in the mirror and say, let's just rip the Band-Aid off and we, we've got to tear it all down. Because you look at their core, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, and, and maybe you throw J.D. Martinez on that list too. Three very good hitters, three very not-so-good defensive players. Uh, Devers and Bogarts are probably not long-term, long-term shortstop slash third baseman, respectively. One of them is probably going to have to get either move them around the infield, take some, um, take a spot as the designated hitter. They're probably not going to be Bogarts. Maybe could hang around in the infield. Devers is not very good at third base, but is and was their like their best hitter last year. So interesting to see what they're going to do there. That outfield, though, and you mentioned Hunter Renfro, who they brought in. They're after the Rays DFA'd, and I really like that signing. I Like I said, I think he's a great fit there. Right now, roster resource on Fangraphs has their outfield from left to right as Benintendi, Verdugo in center because they're losing Jackie Bradley Jr. as well unless somehow they re-signed uh, JBJ. And then Hunter Renfro in right field. Uh, I think that's a pretty like high upside, sneaky good outfield we've seen what ben and can do alex verdugo had a really good season last year 367 on base percentage 478 slugging and hunter renfro if he had a rough year in tampa bay and we talked about why that was the case and maybe he wasn't getting enough consistent at bats maybe 2020 was just a weird year if he can put up similar numbers as he was doing in san diego and play similar defense as he was in san diego you look at the rest of this red sox outfield i think it looks pretty good what about you yeah, I well, I'm even a little bit higher on. I, I'd love to see another. I'd love to see another season. I will get to see another season of, of Devers <laughs> at third base because I, in 2019 the numbers he he was pretty good. Now maybe that's the outlier, but I know the chatter around at least some some of that that fan base was that he had turned the corner and that he he was starting to make some real progress there. And I'd hate I, 2019 or 2020. Pardon me was such a strange season that I don't know how much stock to really put into that. Now, the, the flip side of that is three of his four seasons have been a net negative at third. But I would be interested in a young player like that, seeing if that 2019 was more uh, in, the, in the right direction. He actually was making progress. Because I think if that is the case, I yeah, that, that lineup is pretty scary. I think Benintendi is a guy who... He, I think he's been the, the biggest thing against him has been the expectation. So he's, he's kind of, he's been a really solid hitter. He just maybe isn't going to be the next yes yeah, that everyone thought he was going to be for a minute. And Verdugo, yeah, he did an excellent rookie rookie season and, and, and showed that he could even handle center field. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to like there, but I, I think it's kind of what, what you and I were talking about is that, and, and maybe they, they'll find a way this, but the pitching is where there are a lot of question marks. And I also just think they lack depth. I think if they can stay healthy, which no team does, if they can stay completely healthy, this is a playoff caliber team. But they're not, no one stays healthy. 
So I don't know how they're going to deal with another old friend. Christian Arroyo looks like to be one of their, their utility infielders. If there's a long-term injury in the infield, are you really comfortable sticking Christian Arroyo out there for an extended period of time? Marcus Wilson as a fourth outfielder, Yairo Munoz, Kevin Plawecki as a backup catcher. Like, yeah, if they keep the lineup as is of Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, Vasquez, Benintendi, Renfro, like that's a good lineup if it stays healthy. The pitching rotation, you need probably some good luck there. You've got Nate Evaldi. He's had a lot of injury issues. Eduardo Rodriguez, like I said, if he's in the rotation, great. He's a pretty good pitcher. After that, without sale there, they went out and got Nick Pavetta last year in a trade. I don't know. It's just very vanilla to me. Well, and I would say I, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think I think you I think you nailed it. But I, my my fear with that is that uh, that is something that Bloom has showed himself very capable of doing uh, in his years with the Raises is finding those depth pieces that you are comfortable with when the inevitable injuries come. So I think I think I agree a hundred percent that I, I think this year. Uh, I, I would not pick the Red Sox as a playoff team um, because you know that a lineup's just no, no team can always have 100% health. And in this year, more than ever, I think that will be, the depth will be yeah. tested. But I do think that come two or three years from now, they may even not have to make that many big moves because some of those core pieces are there in the lineup. And suddenly it's like, oh man, yeah, the Bloom filled in those those utility spots really well. And, and that's a team that that's going to be an issue again. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the Toronto Blue Jays, a team that made the postseason in 2020. They lost to the Rays in the American League wildcard round. Now, again, we do not know what the postseason format's going to be somehow. I, I have to assume that big league teams know what it is just because how else do you prepare for a season you don't even know how good you need to be? Anyways, hopefully we find that out soon enough. But the Blue Jays were a postseason team last year. They... They were 32-28, and 28, only finished a game behind the Yankees, and snuck in as one of those extra wildcard spots in the American League, a team that was kind of a year early, and they, they wouldn't have made the postseason if it weren't for the expansion, but a team that has a lot of talent. And they went out, and, and you and I talked about it. I think you were on at opening day last year when the Rays played the Blue Jays and did the preview, and we talked about how strong of a signing Hinjin Ryu was. And how I, you know, beside, I, I always kind of saw his one year where he almost won the NL Cy Young a couple of years ago as like an outlier in his career. And while it might be that, he was still very, very good throughout his whole time with the Dodgers. He was just injured a lot. And he stayed health, healthy with the Blue Jays. If he can stay that way throughout that contract, he's only 33 or 34 this year. He could be a very, very good pitcher for them for the next few years. They re-upped with Robbie Ray, who I don't like really at all, but he... If, if he can keep the walks down, he'll be fine. Nate Pearson's another young arm. Ross Stripling, Tanner Roark. I don't know. The Blue Jays, if it's a 16-team postseason again, they're definitely a playoff contender. Yeah, I I am probably higher on the Blue Jays than, than most folks out there. I, I think they're a really good team. Um, I think that that core of Ryu... I'm pretty high on Stripling and I'm really high on Pearson. And I think, I think he will be given a pretty good run at this year. Uh, I love Robbie Ray as a number five. I don't love him as the number two, but if, if that rotation shuffles around a little bit and he's suddenly your fifth starter, that's, that's a lot more appealing. Um, and the lineup, I mean, that those are the ones that everyone knows, but uh, I, there's a lot to like there. Um, you and I were chatting briefly before we, we started recording about how, uh, Vladito maybe isn't going to quite live up to the hype, but I think the the flip side of that is that Teoscar Hernandez looks like he might be yeah. everything and more uh, than from what from what we imagined. And then having Kevin Biggio, if I could choose one guy to be my leadoff man for the next decade, I'd be he'd be in the running. I think it'd be Wander Franco number one and Kevin Biggio maybe wow. in somewhere in that top five. I'm really high on on his his batted ball skills. And I just think his, his approach at the plate is, is excellent. You throw in Boba Shea. I mean, and Alejandro Kirk, we even saw some good things from him. I I'm really high on this Blue Jays team, unfortunately for, for the race. Lotus Gurriel jr. Too. Like they have, they have a good team and obviously it showed they, they were a good team last year. Kirk though, maybe a catcher, probably not long-term. He's going to be your DH. 
I'm interested to see a full 162 game season out of Vlad Jr. at first base. That he's probably going to be moved there full time. They've still got Rowdy Telez too. Like, where do you fit all these players into the same lineup? Which is not a bad problem to have. But if you end up compiling like all these guys that can kind of play first base and not really anywhere else, that's not a great problem. And then you have to you're forced to sit them, or that you're going to have liabilities in the field. But the bats play, like the bats play for the Blue Jays. And like you said, the uh, Teoscar Hernandez breakout season, he had 16 home runs last year at a 579 slug. Very, very good year. Kirk could really bust out the jail. He had 25 plate appearances in 2020, so we really haven't seen him at all yet. Danny Jansen hit, uh, you know, those two massive home runs off of Tyler Glass now in the wild card round. Pretty solid catcher to have. They've got Kirk as well and uh, Reese McGuire. I, again, similar to the Orioles and similar to the Red Sox, I really like the lineup. I like where they're going. The pitching needs a little bit of work. And you wonder, I mean, hey, maybe they really like Robbie Ray. It seems like a pitcher that maybe even the Rays would be interested in. But if that was the decision they made, they went out and got him at the trade deadline and then extended him this winter, you'd think that like they could have done a little better. Obviously, they're willing to spend some money. Personally, I think there are better pitchers out there. Maybe they couldn't convince any of them to go to Canada. Who knows? But I've also even heard some rumblings that they might be interested in Chris Bryant of the Cubs, who also might be in a bit of a rebuild themselves. Do you think he would slot really well into this team? Because I do. Yeah, I mean, I I think he'd be he's I think every team should be looking at him as as a buy low right now. I do. I, it's interesting though. Actually, of of all teams, I do wonder if what you were just saying about how they have a lot of guys who profile to corners of the field that can hit. I actually wonder if they're they they if they have the resources to get a Bryant, if they shouldn't instead go grab. Uh, I guess it's not apple; it's apples and oranges, but a Lance Lynn, a, a more solid piece for the rotation, because I think they have a lot of upside with Pearson, Stripling, and even Ray can flash some yeah. upside. I think a, a like another steady arm in the rotation is maybe would or or ironically flashing back to Blue Jays of years past, like, like a Kevin Pillar in center field, obviously not him anymore, but someone who is going to just run like a Kevin Kiermaier. Maybe they would, I don't think the race would send him in division, but a piece like that, that's going to tape together your defense a little bit or a steady arm, I think actually might be even a better fit than Brian, even though, I mean, you put Brian in that lineup and it, it gets real, real scary, but. And he could play multiple spots too, third base outfield. He, he, I think he would be a great addition. Also, and I mentioned how maybe they had a hard time convincing free agents to join them. They don't know where they're going to be playing. You look at the Toronto, like the, obviously the Blue Jays played in Buffalo last year when there was no minor league baseball. Most people are hoping that there is minor league baseball this year. The Toronto Raptors were forced to start their season in Tampa, and they might play the entire season there. Yeah, they're not doing very well either. Uh, baseball season's right around the corner. And with a lot of the COVID numbers around the world, I don't know if Canada is going to still be at the place where they're going to allow teams to travel in and out of their country. Like the, the, the Blue Jays, they still don't know where they're going to be playing next year. So I don't know, something to keep in mind. Uh, they, they've also, Taewon Walker is a free agent right now. They brought him into the deadline as well. Jonathan VR, switch hitting infielder, uh, used to play for Baltimore. Ken Giles is another reliever that hey, maybe even the Rays would look at. Um, but right now, they're projected bullpen. They've got some good pitchers. Jordan Romano, I really like Rafael Delis. They went out and got him. He pitched in Japan for a while. Uh, they, they've got Anthony Kay. I also really like Anthony Kay, a left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. I think he has a lot of upside, maybe even working himself closer to the rotation as well. I don't know. The Blue Jays, like I said, another team that if it's an expanded postseason, they should be in there. They should be one of the favorites to take a wild card spot. I say that they still were only a game behind the Yankees. They almost got into that second place spot too. So uh, anything can happen with that Blue Jays team who seem to be uh, very good now and have a brighter future ahead. So let's move on to the New York Yankees who were the favorites last year in the American League East, ended up finishing seven games behind the Rays. Uh, and I think they're probably the favorites now too. I haven't looked at any futures bets yet, but my guess is that they're the favorite again even despite them having a lot of question marks going into the season. So 
maybe their best player from the last two years, DJ LeMahieu, is a free agent. He is one of the biggest free agents on the market outside of uh, you know Trevor Bauer and, and George Springer. And a lot of the talk is about him not going back to the Yankees, maybe even going to the New York Mets or going out west to the L.A. Dodgers. Yankees fans, like, LeMahieu has to be the one guy they want back more than anything. Yeah, I think he really won over New York fans really fast in his time there. And I think that the lineup, uh, you, it's so easy to kind of uh, create, create a more narrative uh, look at this, these things than, than actually is the case. But I do think the, that him being in or out of that lineup, it looks a lot different um, because of kind of the approach of a lot of the hitters in that lineup. I mean, I mean, Judge has a good approach, but Voight, Stanton, Torres to a certain extent, and Sanchez are such big power guys that they're going to be weeks that they just go ice cold. DJ LeMahieu did such a good job kind of evening that out and making sure there was a steady bat at the top of that lineup. That I, I do think that – so I'm, I'm looking at their lineup right now in roster resource, and it, it looks – the Yankees lineups are always going to look a little scary. But honestly – it doesn't look like the, the, the lineup from last year, which had DJ LeMahieu. I just think it makes a huge difference to either have them in there or not. Maybe even a little more than just going by a straight uh, wins above replacement um, mm. metric would, would show. I, I think the lineup is fine without LeMahieu. Obviously, it's a lot better with him in it at second base. He's one of, if not the best second baseman in baseball right now. But really, where the, where the, if you look at the Yankees roster, where it's going to look a lot different unless they bring some guys back or replace is the pitching rotation. So free agents right now are James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, and Jay Happ. Now, I know Happ didn't have a great year for them. Paxton hasn't always lived up to his potential or lived up, not to potential, but lived up to what he was doing in Seattle. You look at the rotation as is right now, Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, David Garcia, Michael King, and Domingo Herman. That's not great once after Garrett Cole, who's obviously one of the best pitchers in the American League. Jordan Montgomery didn't look great last year. Davey Garcia saw some really bright flashes uh, when Aaron Boone wasn't pulling him after the first inning of a playoff game. Uh, Domingo Herman, uh, don't really want to talk about him all that much. But the Yankees, like, you could say that Yankees fans want DJ LeMahieu back more than anyone else. But out of the pitching staff, that might be need to be the number one priority over DJ LeMahieu is either bringing back a James Paxton, bringing back a Tanaka, or trying to go out and force the issue on the trade market, maybe even go after Trevor Bauer or another one of these top pitching free agents. I don't know. Like, How confident are you that the Yankees can bring back these pitchers or, or at least replace them in some capacity? Well, it's interesting. I think that there's a, a large section of the Rays fan base that I <laughs> count myself among that right now is saying if the Rays just sit on what they have right now, it will be a very disappointing offseason. And I think that that is the tendency that they've they kind of earned over the over the, the last decade. Now, the Yankees have a very similar situation. Uh, if we look at just their roster to end 2020 and what it's sitting at right now, it is a lot worse. And those guys are out there, so they can be brought back. So there is the potential for both of these teams to bring in the talent to bring them back to where their rosters were last year. And I think that in any other year, it would kind of be a safe assumption that the Yankees were going to do that. But this is a, a strange year. Teams are, are definitely, um, who, who knows exactly behind the scenes what the, what the, the true numbers are. But regardless, teams are, are clearly acting in different ways than they, they might typically act. So I, I would tend to think that of those, of probably the three big names, the the Paxton, uh, Tanaka, and Le, LeMahieu, I would guess that two of those three will be back on the Yankees, uh, and then it's and then they may even have like a, a close to replacement for the third. So I and th this is kind of my bias showing. I, I do think that the, the over the last ten years, the Rays and Yankees have acted in very different ways. So I'm kind of guessing that that will continue to happen. I'd love for it not to happen, but uh, I think you're 100 right. If those if those arms don't come back. That is a very suspect uh, rotation that I think would probably land. I like if, if the roster stay exactly as is this second, I would have the race slightly ahead of the Yankees. I think I would have them more than slightly ahead and maybe I'm biased there, but 
you look at outside of Garrett Cole, there's no other proven big league pitcher on that Yankees rotation. The Rays rotation as is, you've got Tyler Glass now, you've got Ryan Yarbrough, you've got Michael Waka, and a lot of other guys with high upside. And and Garcia has upside. Herman, if if he bounces back from suspension and pitches well, that's very good. I don't know what Luis Severino's timetable is. Again, the Yankees have high upside too, but as is, I, I would have the Rays specifically talking about the pitching rotation way above the Yankees right now. If they bring back, if they bring back Paxton, that might be enough to move the needle towards the Yankees. Uh, maybe the Rays try to get Paxton as well. Oh, I wish, I wish. And, um, to Tanaka, I, there was a report that said that if he doesn't get the deal he likes, he's going to go pitch in Japan, which would be, I think, really cool for him to go back to Japan especially to get out of the AL East after some of the stuff he's done to the Rays the last few years. But the Yankees have work to do. And like we said, DJ LeMahieu is the best player that they've lost, but he might not be the player they need to try to win the American League East again in 2021. They were seven games behind the Rays in a 60-game season. I know both teams dealt with a lot of injuries. Last year was a weird year. But I made a prediction at the beginning of the season when I said that the Rays could win the AL East that no one would win a division by more than five games. And I think... The Rays did it. Uh, the the Dodgers did it. They won by like six, and maybe the A's did it because the AL West was so poor last year. But a lot of the other divisions were really tight because there was only sixty games, and the Yankees like they were nowhere close to the Rays. They've got to try to get back into competing for the division title. Now the Rays maybe have made it easier with some of the sub- subtractions, I'll say, or moves that the Rays have made. But yeah, I, I really do think it starts with the pitching rotation. And it's such a weird year because we don't know how much teams are spending. We never do, but we usually have a better idea. And it's probably never more true than with the Yankees and the Rays this offseason. We've had wildly different offseasons. But yeah, Yankees still have a lot of free agents out there. But with all that being said, they're probably still going to be the favorites in terms of the, the, the Vegas favorites to win the division. And we'll just have to wait and see. The teams could look very, very different by the start of spring training. And maybe one team comes out as a clear favorite. So a couple other moves around the American League. Uh, two real big ones that, that stick out. Lance Lynn to the Chicago White Sox. Now, when that move was made, I had just dropped a podcast less than 24 hours before saying that the Rays were going to get Lance Lynn. Uh, that was not the case. He goes to the Chicago White Sox, who were a postseason team last year. I think that's a really good addition. Um, maybe the only good thing the White Sox have done this offseason after bringing in uh, their new manager but the players, the players that they're fielding with Lucas Giolito and, and Lance Lynn, like that's a good team. Obviously, a very good lineup. And uh, the other one is a, t- a player leaving the division. For the last couple of years, it was a team that was competing for American League championships, and that's the Cleveland baseball team who traded Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the New York Mets. Now, the Indians have pretty much fully taken uh, ripped the Band-Aid off. The only solid player they have left uh, obviously Shane Bieber, the American League Cy Young, and Jose Ramirez, who was damn near the American League MVP. But they don't really have, like, that's, and baseball's not a sport where you can build around two guys, or have two guys that's going to carry you to division titles or to the playoffs or to anything. So Cleveland, like, I really don't know what the plan is there. They've cut payroll big time. The Francisco Lindor trade, maybe it was inevitable. Fangraphs has their estimated 2021 payroll at $40 million right now, which is lower than the Rays have been in maybe a decade. Like, I don't, I don't know when the Rays were at $40 million or less. And the Indians might add, and arbitration, things might happen. But first off, my question to you, Jim, is where are all these hit pieces on the Indians and why they're bad for baseball, or Cleveland and why they're bad for baseball? Yeah, I think... Uh... I, th- I think we need to see a few of those. Um, maybe we can release a few of them from. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I first of all, you have to forgive me uh, all the real life news that's been absorbing my brain the last couple days. I didn't even realize Lance Lynn was traded. So when I threw him out to the Blue <laughs> like, uh, "Buddy, you, uh, you guys." Oh, you there? did say that. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say, yeah, just glancing at the the Cleveland roster right now and it is it does not look pretty now i know uh, our very own brian menendez had a nice little hot take on uh, twitter the other day calling uh cleveland still a top 10 baseball team that's from where i'm sitting that's a real hot take um mm, maybe record yeah. 
Record-wise, they may still be above 500 just because that division is uh, on, a, on a different timeline. But I, I think the, from where I'm standing, the White Sox are now the, the big divisional favorites. And Cleveland, to me, isn't, uh, they're not on par with Toronto. I would, I'd have them even below Boston, I think, even looking at just this year. Yeah, again, they still have so much pitching. And we've seen what the Rays can do with, with a not-so-great lineup and a great pitching staff. They've still got Bieber, Plesak, Savale, Tristan McKenzie, like in their rotation, really solid. That's why Brian. That's why Brian likes them so much. That pitching guy, he gets sucked in. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, but the, their lineup, it stinks. I'm sorry, it stinks. You've got Jose Ramirez, who's an MVP candidate, but then Franmil Reyes, Jake Bowers, like I got, I got the Rays. I wanted the Rays to get Franmil Reyes to play like. Uh, the similar to like the Hunter Renfro role. I wanted either Reyes or Renfro. They ended up getting Renfro at one point. Not to be the DH every day and cleanup hitter. Like, I don't know. It's the, the, If the pitching is good, they're going to compete, especially in that division. And if it's an expanded postseason, sure, they'll be there. Bieber was obviously the best pitcher in the American League last year. Their bullpen really good as well. Uh, Manuel Classe, Nick Whitgren, James Karinchak, who is... So very similar to, to Nick Anderson, in my opinion, and in terms of dominance as a reliever, could be the best reliever in baseball for the next few years. But it's weird. I don't know. I really don't see them competing for pennants or World Series. Now, yeah, in that division, they could stick around. They could beat up on the Royals and Tigers for the next couple of years. But the Twins and the White Sox are, are good, too, and, and, and we'll see. I don't know. The AL Central is maybe the most exciting and least exciting division at the exact same time. Uh, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. But that's been all really the big moves in the division and outside of the division in the American League. All in all, the Rays, despite losing Blake Snell, despite losing Charlie Morton, despite all the other stuff that's gone on this offseason, you have to feel really good about where the Rays sit relative to the rest of the American League. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And I think it's easy to uh, kind of get into a, a, a down mindset when you do see someone like a Blake Snell um, shipped out of town. But you're 100% right. I think the, the Rays are, are in a very good position, even with a, a smaller postseason, to be there again. As we all know, as long as you get there, that's what matters because the, the playoffs are, are such a, a crapshoot. That, that honestly getting getting to the dances is half time more important than what you do like what you do there matters but it's it's yeah it's such a small sample it's hard to really control for that definitely definitely all right we're gonna take a quick ad break and then we're gonna come back and talk about what jim's been up to over at draysbay.com and we're back and jim you've been real busy this off season over at dray's bay first off I want to hear about this new bracket that you and Adam Sanford got going on. Uh, similar vibes to the greatest raised player bracket or most beloved raised player bracket. But you guys have put together the greatest raised team bracket. So tell me what's going on with that. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it looks really exciting. Yeah, well, I, I've been, I think you and I have had a shared obsession over this uh, quarantine of the, the baseball uh, computer, video game, whatever you want to call it, simulator, uh, out of the park baseball. Been spending a lot of time on there. So too much time. Uh, a lot of time. <laughs> We're just gonna leave too it there. <laughs> too much time. So uh, in in one of my little deep dives, I was poking around some of the their, the cool features they have, and I was like, you know what? Let's decide once and for all with this the best simulator they have out there, which is the best raised roster in his in their history. Um, so I went to resident historian, Adam Sanford, asked if he wanted to, to partner up on it. And uh, he did very much. So he was very excited to get this project going. Um, so we are, we're setting up a little, you know, round Robin best of seven bracket here to decide which raised roster is, is truly the best of all time. Now I, as the, the relative newcomer to raise fandom, wanted to get Adam involved to get some of his opinions on, on some of his thoughts. So he, he highlighted a, a few things. I asked him to pick out a sleeper team. He gave me the 2009 Rays, a player to watch. He gave me Jose Canseco, an mm. overrated team. He gave me a 2013 Rays and a team that everyone would love, but wouldn't win at all. And he chose the 2003 Rays. Now I want to hear your answers for those, those four sections. 
So it goes with sleeper team first. Yeah. I'm going to say the 07, right? Devil Rays. I tweeted about this when uh, the article was published, really because of uh, Scott Casimir, who was incredible in 07. He was the strikeout king in the American League. If he gets two starts against the 08 Rays, it will, first off, they've got to get past the 05 Devil Rays in the little play in round. But if he gets two starts against the 08 Rays, I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win, but I'm saying. They could force that series to six or seven games. If you got Scott Casimir in a series deciding game, even though he's also on the 08 team, um, I, <laughs> I, I might pick the 07 Devil Rays. What was the next one? A uh, player to watch. Uh, besides 07 Scott Casimir, oof, uh, this is a tough one. I'm trying to think of other pitchers from like the Rays era. Uh, I, you know what? Let's go back. We've talked a lot about him on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network this offseason. Let's go with Chris Archer from those not-so-good Rays teams. Again, I'm picking aces on these Rays teams that weren't playoff teams that might be able to upset uh, some of the playoff Rays teams. So I'm thinking like 2015 Chris Archer. So one thing, this uh, as, as we're talking about this, I want to make sure I clarify um, for anyone who hadn't uh, checked out the full article. So what, what it's going to be is the end of season rosters for each of these teams uh, and the true talent of the player for that season. So it's not, when we're talking about, we are literally talking about that's 2007 Scott Casimir. It's not going to be his player card in general. So there really will be specifics to this. I think will be really fun to watch. Um, So, sorry, I hopped in there, but let's, let's circle back to you for these final two. One, one team that you think might be a little overrated and then one team that, Definitely won't win, but uh, we'll all be in love with. Am I going to be uh, persecuted if I say the 08 Rays might be a little overrated? Well, I mean, I'm not saying they're bad, but in the like, term like of just being overrated compared to 2010, and there is no 2020, though, am I right? Oh, sadly, yeah. Which I think 2020 is the, the best Rays team ever. I've said that on the podcast before. But 2010 and maybe even 2009 or 2011, like they could compete against that 2008 team where after that year, the Rays tried to make some improvements to the team. And so, again, I'm not saying the 08 team is bad. I'm saying they might be slightly overrated and they might run into some trouble in the tournament. And what was the last one? A team that you're going to be in love with the whole time you'll be pulling for, but they're not going to win it. Uh, I'll go back to my first answer, kind of the, the 07 Devil Rays. That was the first year that uh, my dad and I had season tickets. I was eight years old for most of that season. And uh, yeah, it's kind of really when I really fell in love with the team. So I'll go with the 07 Devil Rays. If they get past the 08 Rays, which is obviously a year right after that, I love that team too. Uh, that, I don't know. I think that would just be funny. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm really excited to do this. So what, how, how we're going to roll it out is... At some point, I know Adam is on vacation right now, so I'm going to wait for him to get back. Uh, so a slight delay if, if you had been reading the series, but we're going to get together and just simulate through the whole thing. Uh, and then we'll be releasing round by round um, kind of summaries of, of some of the fun series, some players who played really well, um, and just kind of every, everything you could, you could be interested in this. And we'll kind of roll it out throughout the uh, offseason leading up to the regular season and, and hopefully determine a champion uh, sometime during like spring training or something like that. And we've got another fun project that we're doing with Adam that we're going to talk about in just a second. Really fun project. Uh, but first, Jim, on the day of recording, today is January 8th. You just published a piece on DRaysBay.com about Tyler Glass now and the potential for him to add pitches to his arsenal. That's kind of been one of the bigger criticisms about his game, only having two pitches, that fastball and the curveball, which are very successful most of the time. But when you're facing a team multiple times in the postseason, maybe aren't as successful. So tell me a little bit about uh, that piece that just went out on the site today. For sure. So this was an article that came out of exactly as you said. Um, I kind of had been leaning on that critique of, of Glassnow as a guy. I'm not quite as high on Glassnow as, as some others. Um, and so kind of kicking around the slack, I, I kind of kept saying that. And uh, props to Ian Malnowski for saying, well, let's, let's write the article and, and see how it plays out. And I have to say, I love these articles where I go in with, with one idea and I come out with another. Cause honestly, I came out of it not really sure. I, I don't know if I'm higher on glass now than I was, but I, I don't know if I think he really needs a third pitch. Um, so in the piece that I laid out that did come out today, um, just kind of looked at 
So there was a there's a quote from Snyder in a recent Herald Tri Tribune piece um, talking about trying to throw a cutter, um, which for anyone who has been following his career um, and reading some of the stuff we've had in the article, Danny Russell wrote a piece a few years back talking about how his some of his pitches, because his hand is so big, kind of have that natural cut. So I think that would be a pretty easy transition in, but I'm kind of curious how much it would really help. So that's one. Uh, and then the other would be the changeup, which is one that, the pitch that he did use third most um, last year. And he used it about 5% of the time, but it got hit harder than the other pitches. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go by Brooks baseball, the, the, um, the sabermetric results were, were higher, both in terms of batting average and slugging percentage. And according to him, it is what landed him on the IL. So going from it, looking at it from that perspective, I, I didn't see anything that immediately screamed, yes, uh, let's definitely get him throwing these pitches. Uh, now the other side of that, and I'm trying to pull this up here because I want to make sure I have all the, the right um, information for it. So I, I framed it in a way looking at, so that was kind of the, the cons, right? The, the potential injury, and how much would it even really add? And so looking at it from the pros perspective, I, I tried to look at three things. I tried to look at uh, third time through the order, ERA minus fifth differential, and a pitch tipping safeguard. Um, and when I wrote that article, which is going to come out probably either in a couple of days or maybe early next week, um, there wasn't really, again, much, much data there to, to say that he really needed that third pitch. So um, Glass now in his career, he hasn't faced third time through very often. Um, both teams that he's been on have kind of had the, the kid gloves on with him. So he hasn't really gotten that third time through very often, but when he has, it's, he's been, he's been pretty good. Uh, that has not really been an issue in, in his repertoire. Now you, there is a noticeable difference between first time and second time through, but I, there, it's such a small sample and I, I'm not sure we can really tether a lack of third pitch to that difference more than just everybody the second time through yeah. struggles a little bit more. And then the, the second piece there, the ERA minus fit, I kind of had a hunch that guys like a, a Johnny Cueto or you Darvish were, were the ones that came to mind were these guys who have, you know, 10 pitches and 15 different deliveries. And they're, they're really, they're keeping hitters off balance. I kind of had a, a gut thought that if you looked at pitchers who didn't use as many pitches, they would very often have worse ERAs uh, than their FIP. So the FIP would be saying this player should be better, but consistently they were not. And that was entirely wrong. I'm glad <laughs> I looked at it because that, that turned out to not be true at all. So, uh, and I did that on a more of a league-wide look than, than Glass now specific. And then when it comes to pitch tipping, uh, we, we know, well, I know that he was tipping during the Astros game. That's still debated by, by some. But I feel confident that he was tipping in that. He in that said he was game. tipping. Yeah, he said it, but still some people you talk to will say otherwise. But I, it does look like Dom, as, as our own Dom found, um, it, towards the end of last year, it seemed like he, he really had fixed that. So I think, if anything, with, with, with Glasnow, and with the talent that he does have, I, I wonder if these tinkering around the edges is almost just going to hurt more. He has this stuff to, to be a good pitcher, I. I was a doubting Thomas coming in. I'm still not as high on him as some others, but I, I don't actually know if that, that changeup needs to get up to like the 10% level or if he needs to bring a cutter in. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was one of those articles that you, you go in thinking one thing and come out thinking another, which I think is always good. Yeah, it's really interesting. And Tyler Glass now might be, this season might be the, you know, the one to follow if you're a race fan and you want to focus in on one player. He's going to be leading the starting rotation this year after the departure of Blake Snell and, and Charlie Morton. So really interesting. I know throughout the postseason, I was saying like, he's got to add a third pitch. Like if anything, just when he gets to the postseason, because you face really good teams that only have to focus on you on the schedule and they can, you know, they can second, third time through the order really start to do some damage. So yeah, I loved reading that earlier today and uh, should be really exciting to see what Tyler Glass now can do in, in 2020. And like I said, we're going to talk about a really fun project that we've got coming up on the podcast network in just a second, but we're going to take another quick ad break right here. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Jim, this is the project that we've kind of been talking about throughout the off season and later this month, looks like it's going to come to fruition on the podcast network, again, involving Adam Sanford, our resident race historian. 
and it's the all-time Rays player draft where we're going to get a group of writers from D-Rays Bay and we're going to sit down and we're going to draft on Zoom the best Rays teams of all time. And now we don't know how many people are going to be on it, but all I know is, especially with Adam involved, if we go deep enough in this draft, we're going to get some really fun Rays players uh, from yesteryear and from the current team. And I don't know. I couldn't be more excited. This is this is going to be really fun. Yeah, this is, this one uh, was one that was cooked up during quarantine, and then didn't just right. uh, once baseball started back up, it, it, it kind of happened real quick. So we we kicked the can down the road to the off season, and it's been one I've been I've been waiting for for a while as well. Um, you mentioned Adam. I think the goal is to get a, a pretty motley group of of D Rays Bay contributors in here to to really get a nice deep draft. So we get some. We had Adam coming off the top rope with some really obscure picks uh, later on. <laughs> I think I think we're still figuring out the exact format, um, whether right. we want to put it up for votes on Twitter, whether we want to see if we can, again, use OOTP to get some kind of simulation going, maybe yeah. both. Um, I But I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I think it's going to be pretty fun for us and hopefully pretty fun for listeners and readers as well. Yeah, we haven't locked down the exact format like you said, but we're thinking you know you pick a player based on their entire Rays tenure, and then it's pretty much up to you if you want to value like one really great season over three average seasons, and we're gonna have fun with it, you know. And then you know we'll try to come up with a winner some way, whether that be let the masses decide or let our computer game decide. So. It's, it's going to be fun. I'm really excited because obviously you're going to get some fun names that everybody loves at the top of the draft. But I'm, I'm really more excited to get to the 10th round and we're picking random second baseman from the 06 team. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's what I live for, especially, like I said, as a kid who grew up, uh, you know, loving those, even some of those really bad raised teams. And, yeah, it's going to sound a lot like when we did the instant reaction podcast after uh, – the I believe game five of the ALDS and game seven of the ALCS when we had it felt like over half the site was on a Zoom call uh, yelling at each other. Uh, now maybe we're going to be yelling like actually at each other over draft picks. So should be really fun. And yeah, when uh, we get that ready to roll, it's going to be at least one episode of a podcast, probably more, probably two or three maybe. Uh, but it'll be fun. So Jim. Thank you for hopping on today. Uh, we had a lot to talk about, even though there wasn't raised news. So that was really good and made a really good podcast. So Jim, thanks for hopping on, man. Uh, anytime. I love it. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. If you would like every episode from our podcast feed downloaded directly to your device when we release them, make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed. You'll get episodes of this show and the hit show. And as always, make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com to check out all of the great off-season coverage, including Jim's piece on Tyler Glass. Now that dropped, uh, it'll be last week by the time you're listening to this now. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.